Thanks for tuning in to Release City Church Online. We're all about loving God and loving people. If you're ever in our area, we'd love for you to join us for one of our live weekend worship experiences. For more information about service times and events, go to releasecitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Release City Church. We hope that today's message will encourage you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Now, let's check out today's message. Amen. So as uh, Paul said, Bradley's out of town, so I got, got the honor of bringing the word this morning. Um, it's much different for me this morning because uh, typically I try not to just have too many notes, but I ended up with like 11 pages. So, And there's much scripture, so if you take notes, definitely get out your notepad, pen, phone, whatever you do. Um, I'll, I'll try to go a little slower than I did last time just because Kim told me that apparently I was spitting off the scriptures too fast for people to write them down. So I'll, uh, I'll try to keep it a little, little toned down. Obviously, I'm not as upbeat as Pastor B is. I don't, I don't have all that energy first thing in the morning like that. I, I build up my energy as the day goes. So um, two cups of coffee in and I'm still not there. So, <laughs> so this morning's uh, message is hands off. Um, we like to control things, uh, some of us more than others. Um, we're very controlling people. Um, we like to believe anyway that we have control. We like to seek uh, positions of power. Um, we like to, you know, even when, I mean, you get a job, what's your first instinct is to work your way up, right? You, you're, you're seeking more. You're always wanting more. Um, and, and that comes along with control. We want to be able to control people. We want to be able to control our environment. We want to be able to control our finances. We want to be able to control whatever we can. Um, even things we can't control, we want to control that. Um, we have a tendency to control things because without control, we feel stress. We feel like the world around us is chaotic. Um, you know, it's, it's just something that if, if we don't have control, we feel like everything around us is falling down. Creates a creates a stress within us, even though that stress isn't real, or or maybe some of that stress isn't even ours. It's just because we don't have that control. We just we we feel that tugging. We feel that stress pulling on us. Uh, however, much of this walk with God is not about control. It's about surrender. The biggest reason for this is our hearts, because of our natural affinity to sin, are deceitful. The Bible tells us this in Jeremiah seventeen nine. It says, "The heart is deceitful above all things." And then in Mark 7.21, Jesus is speaking. <clears throat> he says, From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's because we're born into sin. You know, ever since Adam and Eve took that bite, sin has been a part of the world. You were born into it. It was a part of you as soon as you came in. Psalms 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So you can't even argue with it. It's biblical. We were born into sin. It's a, it's a natural part of who we are as soon as we're born. As soon as you come into this world, you are born into sin. You are born of sin. It's, it's a sinful nature that we have within us. Without God, we are a sinful people. And even with God, we still have a tendency to fall back to self, which is sin. So, 
When we are left to do things on our own, we do them from a very selfish point of view. It's the biggest problem we as humans have. You can see it in almost every aspect of life. People view the world from their perspective, and that's because it's the only one that we have to view it from. You know, um, And the world points us to self much of the time. So you only view world experiences through your experiences. Um, even, I mean, as, as kids, you know, your parents tell you not to do something, what do you do? You do it anyway. You learn the hard way. It's because we only view things from our perspective. It's from what we want, what we want to do, and, and that selfishness that's within us. So empathy isn't a common trait because the world points us to self. And because of our natural affinity to sin, self is a really easy thing to focus on. And instead of serving others, we always look out for our own best interests. We're always, you know, looking for and at ourselves. And because of our sinful nature, we can easily focus on that because we, it's easy to care about yourself more than it is anyone else. Because you are you and you are viewing the world through your perception. So some people say, well, I'm a good person. Well, again, that's your perspective, right? So, I mean, we're... Again, you're only viewing the world through your perspective. Your perspective is you are a good person. Well, most people don't want to view themselves as bad, period, right? I mean, we don't want to view ourselves as an evil person or having evil thoughts or, or sinful natures. Um, we, you know, as, and I'm, I'm speaking before, before finding Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, before, before giving up yourself to God. We don't want, we, we never view ourselves as bad. I mean, I guess there are some out there like serial killers and stuff like that. They know that they're a bad person. You know, there are people out there that have admitted they were bad they, because they've given into evil and they've become an evil thing and they're proud of being that evil thing. But naturally, we don't view ourselves as sinful. We don't view ourselves as bad. That's why you see people who don't even know God say, well, I'm a good person. You know, or, or I help I help people, or or you know I I do good things. I'm nice to people. None of that really matters though, because the Bible teaches us that without God, we are just that. We are bad. We are sinful. Isaiah sixty four six. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We do what's best for me the majority of the time. We call it self-preservation, or at least the world does. The world calls it self-preservation. You're looking out for yourself. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about your food on your table. You're worried about your ability to do whatever you want or your ability to control people, your ability to move up the ladder. You know, I mean, how many times have you heard you know, someone stepped on someone else's neck to get a position in work? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're worried about you. And, and that's, that's the majority of people because, again, we're viewing the world through our perspective. We're only viewing the world through our eyes, and empathy doesn't come natural. So in the spiritual sense, though, self-preservation, in the worldly sense, it couldn't be further from the truth. We're not preserving ourselves by only serving our selfish desires and wants. Because without God, coupled with our own selfishness, we're inherently condemning ourselves. This is why God had to come in the flesh, die sinless on the cross, resurrect and ascend to heaven so that we can have the Holy Spirit dwell upon us because God saw that when left to do it ourselves, we just can't do it. I mean, we're literally walking, talking anti-Nike ads. We just can't do it. 
So we are going to focus on David for a little bit this morning. It's always best to reference and associate a, a biblical figure with your life, uh, especially when it's a relatable thing. And I love David because there's so many different aspects of David's life. I mean, he went through so many different things, and I, there's no way we have enough time in one morning to go through all the stuff that happened in David's life of God's hand on his life. But we're going to focus on David a bit this morning. And First uh, Samuel thirteen fourteen says, David was a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> See, David had purpose all over his life. Hand of God all over his life. First Samuel 17, we read, that's, and I don't have the exact scripture, but I'm just paraphrasing in this one. We read how he took out the Philistine Goliath, even though he was much smaller, and he wasn't even a soldier. Right? David was fully aware that God's hand was on his life, though. 1 Samuel 17, 37 says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. It wasn't just that he had knowledge of God's hand on his life where he says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear and the lion. So right there he's admitting he has knowledge of God's hand on his life. But then he goes on to say, He will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. So it's not just having knowledge that God's hand is on your life, but it's having faith in that knowledge. It's putting that actionable faith into play. You have belief in the faith that God's hand is not only on your life, but He's going to pull you through it. So much that He went and did what no one else had the courage to do. David also, He became king through a lot of trials. Um, he was, you know, it was prophesied, basically, that he was going to be king well before he was ever, ever went through all the things that he had to get there. And I, like I said, I don't have time to go through all that, but there, there's a lot of information. If you ever have a chance, just read about David's life and then do some actual like research on David's life. There's a lot of information, and there's so much information out there where biblical scholars have already gone through everything that David went through, and there's so much information about his life that's just relatable as us as humans. But um, So David's also credited with over half of the 150 psalms. So, and, when we're, and when reading them, we see that he truly loved God. Because in Psalm 119, 47 through 48, a Psalm 119, 47 through 48, he says that he loves God's commands and meditates on God's decrees. So we see, we see God's hand all over his life, all through his life. We see God just, I mean, putting him in position after position. We see David putting his faith in God. We see God putting his hand in David. We see all this happening. Yet all that being said, after all the purpose placed on his life, the many blessings he received, we see in 2 Samuel 11 that David not only committed adultery, but also committed premeditated murder. This is after he was king. This is after all the prophecies came true. This is after all the promises came true. This is after all the faith and all the, all the work that he did through God and that God did through him. After all that, we see him commit two really big sins, especially considering back then under the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, here we are. You know, he broke two of them, two out of eight. I mean, that's, you know, he got 20% failure at this point, right? So... <laughs> Uh, so he, the problem is, so he saw something he wanted, which was Bathsheba, another man's husband, or another man's wife, sorry. He sends for her, 
he sleeps with her, and then he has her husband killed. Uh, he goes and tells his soldiers to put him in a position where he's going to be killed. They know he's going to be killed because there was no way anyone was going to survive the position that they put him in. So it was premeditated. He, he did all this stuff after all this purpose on his life. So someone would look at this story and say, well, I mean, how can that be a man after God's own heart? How can that be a man that loves God and loves God's decrees, right? Well, it's simple. He's a man, right? And I don't mean that, ladies, as in you know, he's a man as in like me, because I know I fail all the time, but I mean man as in he's a human. He's a human being, so he's, he's going to fail, right? Now, we look at adultery and murder as like these really big sins, right? But God doesn't see that. He doesn't see really big sins. He sees sin. He sees your heart. And he's already said that your heart is deceitful beyond all things. Jesus says that your heart comes up with all these evil things. All these evil things already dwell within your heart without God, right? So <clears throat> God knows all this stuff. God doesn't see these really big sins like we do. Like we, we look at that because we don't like to view our own sin as a big thing. We look at big sins like, oh, well, I'm better than that. I'm better than that murderer. I'm better than that adulterer over there. All the while, you're not better. You know, you, you, you still have sin. You have sin daily. That's, that's why we pray. That's why we repent. That's why we turn away from sin, you know. And that's why we turn to God in so many things. But one thing I like about this story, and, and a lot of people would just stop there. You know, you focus on the sin. A lot of people focus on the sin. We like to judge people because we focus on the sin. But if you focus on what he did after that. So Nathan, the prophet, comes and calls him out. You know, and God sends him to do so. It wasn't like Nathan's decision, I'm going to go call David out for what he just did. Nathan didn't have a clue what he had just did. He was told by God, and then he goes and calls him out because he was told by God to do so. So Nathan goes and calls him out on what he did, and David admits that he sinned. And then we also read in Psalm, or, so he admits that he sinned in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen. I have sinned against the Lord. Sorry, I've got like this little frog in my throat and it's been taking me out today. Um, then we read later in Psalms 5, 1 through 2 of his repentance. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. So that's how it's done right there. You just, you have to repent. You have to turn away from what you did. But the only way you can repent and turn away from what you did is to admit what you did. So the first thing he did was admitted that he sinned. Second thing was repented of what he did. So, sorry, I think I flipped my page too quick. No, I didn't. All right, so I just uh, want to point out real quick also, there's a lot of examples of, of other people doing what they wanted to do. Thank you. Doing what they wanted to do even though there was a calling on their, their purpose. There was a, a calling from God, a purpose from God. So we see Jonah. You know, everybody knows the story of Jonah and the will, and if you don't know, go read Jonah. It's real quick. I mean, it's like, what, I don't even remember, three, three books, something like that. Um, it's super quick. But Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. Uh, he didn't want to. He goes, tries to run away and do his own thing. He ends up in a whale. You know, we see Samson, one of the great judges of, of Israel, um, one of the last judges of Israel. He judged Israel for 20 years by God's decree. 
we see him. He, he goes and does his own thing, right? And he, he decides that he's going to marry someone outside of what he was allowed to do, and then she convinces him to tell her how it is that he gets his power. She turns him over. He ends up with his hair cut. He ends up in shackles and chains and his eyes gouged out and all that, right? So we, we see multiple times throughout the Bible people doing their own thing, not in an up very good thing. So moving back to David, we see there was a great consequence for his life in his life or his actions and sin against God as well. We also get to see two other things. That one, God sees everything we do because he sent a prophet. This prophet had no clue what David had done, but God saw it, told his prophet. His prophet knew everything, called him out. All right, so God sees everything we do. And then two, uh, where was I? God has a greater plan than ours if we'll only seek him and follow his ways. So we'll see this go down in 2 Samuel 12, 7. So the prophet Nathan comes to David after he's committed adultery and murder. This is what he says. He says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave our master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Then he goes on to tell him about how his house will be in calamity. His wives are going to be given off to one who is close to him. And in verse 13, David admits that he sinned against God. Nathan then tells him that he will not die, but that an even greater consequence would come because of his actions. The son that he had with Bathsheba would die. Now, the consequence here is real prevalent. It's a, it's a pretty big consequence. I mean, not only is his house thrown in a turmoil, but he's going to lose his son that he just had because of everything he did. Typically, when we fail and when we go our own way and do the wrong thing, it's not, it doesn't look like house and calamity or sun dying. What it looks like is stress, anxiety, failure. It looks like we jump to opportunities that put us in position where we fail. Uh, maybe there's a job and it's, you know, I don't know, I, I've had jobs where it took me 600 miles from home. And all it did was put me in a position where drugs were really prevalent and right there at my disposal, and I went down a deep, dark hole, all because I took a job opportunity. You know, and it's not because of the job opportunity, but the job opportunity wasn't for me. That wasn't something that I should have done. It was something someone else was going to do. I saw an opportunity. I jumped the opportunity and followed well, because I followed that, it put me down a really dark hole, a really dark path, doing a lot of dark things, and it put me, my life, in turmoil. That's what it looks like when we do our own thing. It doesn't look like, you know, uh, murder, death, or plagues in our homes or anything like that. It doesn't look like, you know, necessarily that our son is going to die because of what we did. The, the, the consequences are you're going to be stressed out. You're going to go down wrong paths. You're going to make more wrong decisions. Because one bad decision can easily snowball into another. That hill just keeps going further and further. You know, and, and until you can get your head popped back over the hill, 
You're just going to keep following those bad choices. You're going to keep following those bad paths. That is what the consequences look like in our own lives, which inherently can lead to destruction of your soul. Because, I mean, if you're not climbing up and you're not following God and you're not seeking God, I mean, that is the inherent other option is hell, right? I mean, as, as ugly as it sounds, that's the other option. That is where you go when you start making your own decisions, when you start following your own will more than seeking God. So we have a tendency to look at the next big thing, the ne- <coughs> look for the next big thing, the next job, the next opportunity. Sometimes like David, we even look for the next spouse. I mean, how many people, I, I mean, I, and I'm just saying, I, I've seen it happen more than once. People look for that next spouse when they're still in a covenant relationship. So God's saying here that if we'll put ourselves away, he'll bless us. He said it right there in those verses. He said that if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. He's pointing out to David that I blessed you. I blessed you. I got you. I mean, I gave you the the power to kill Goliath. I gave you a kingdom. I gave you homes. I gave you wives. I gave you everything your heart could possibly desire. Yet when all was said and done, you still made your own choices. You went against me. You did your own thing. You, you killed a man. You threw that house into a turmoil. Now, I mean, and not only that, but when you do things like that, say, so all those who are under David, right, they, they find out about this. Well, now what do they think? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, they're, they're going to be looking at David like, well, this guy, he just killed this captain over here and took his wife. And I mean, like, what, you know, now you got people who fear you. You got people who are disrespecting you. You got people talking behind your back. I mean, it just, it, like I said, it snowballs. That one bad decision can lead into many other aspects of your life just being horribly bad. So, but God says here that, one, like I said, he, see, he sees everything. So he sent Nathan, a prophet, and called him out on it. But two, that if he had just kept following his ways, that if he had just kept seeking God and seeking the approval of God and, and everything that he did, that if God saw that that was too little, he would have blessed him with more. God said that through to Nathan, the prophet, the prophet Nathan. So <clears throat> the biggest thing is we, just, we, we have to get out of our own head and we have to quit trying, trying to do everything our way. That's why Jesus, you know, at the garden, he's sitting there with his disciples who keep falling asleep on him. And he says, you know, that take this cup from me, but overall, God, your way, not my will. So that, that's our prayer. That's, that has to be a prayer, part of our prayer life is God, your will over my life. Not my will, but your will. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what circumstance, no matter where I'm at, no matter what opportunity pops up, no matter who comes to me, no matter what I'm doing, God's will over my will. And that's a constant seeking. So if we're born into sin and have a natural affinity to sin, well, then how can we stop being us? Well, one, you're going to have to admit your sins. You're going to have to look at yourself and stop believing that you're just a good person. Right? I mean, you can be a good person, absolutely. But it's going to be through Jesus Christ that that goodness is truly going to come. Everything else is just filthy rags. We already saw that in Scripture. Anything that you look at yourself as doing a good deed for yourself, 
That's not a good deed. Helping someone else so that you have some form of benefit is not helping someone else. You're helping yourself. It's a selfish nature. That is your own righteousness, which is nothing but filthy rags. It's not worth a hoot. It's nothing. So what do we have to do? Well, step one, work on your prayer life. Pray. Prayer. It all starts with prayer. Connecting with God, praying over your lives. I mean, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is a prayer. You're praying to God. You're telling him, please, Lord, take my sins from me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the sin to forgive me of these sins, or died on the cross to forgive me of these sins. So it all starts with prayer. Praying over your life, praying over the lives of others, praying for discernment, clarity, understanding, strength. All of these prayers, they build us up. You know, it starts our day off. And if you're not waking up first thing in the morning and praying, I would implore you to do so. Get up before anybody else does in the house. If you've got to set your alarm 30 minutes before you normally do just for prayer time, do so. When you set that time for God, it'll, it'll make a huge difference in your prayer life. I mean, before I started doing that, I didn't, honestly, I didn't have much of a prayer life because it was more of like we pray at meals and I may pray as I lay my head down to sleep. But now, and I, and I never considered myself a very good prayer either, which I'm still, you know, I still fumble with words like I'm doing up here and, and mixing crap up. But God doesn't care. He knows you, right? So he just wants you to talk to him. He just wants you to pray to him. So it's, it's a huge part of our walk with God. So if you, like I said, set your clock 30 minutes before. It'll not only help you, but it'll help your prayer life. It'll help those around you. It'll help you with praying out in public. It'll help you praying for people and with people. The more connection you have with God through prayer will help you more in your testimony with others. So pray in your spare time as well. Moments you don't have the answer or when you see, when you see an opportunity, pray over that. Before you decide that you're going to do something, pray about it. Now, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to say, yes. You know, God, should I do this? Yes, go, go. No, it doesn't necessarily come that way, okay? <laughs> but when you pray about it, it gets you talking to God. And then when you get that connection with God, then you start seeing the, the way you should go. You start seeing whether or not that's an opportunity you should go. Because when you connect with God, you can see that this person that you're trying to follow for a job down in South Florida is possibly going to lead you some drugs or is going to lead you into uh, a nightlife because you're only 21 years old and you have no business in a club in Miami. You know what I'm saying? So you, might, you, you can see those things when you really have a connection with God. You can foresee these events that could possibly come at you right? because of your prayer life. So pray over those opportunities. Pray over, over the the. Anything that's going on in your life, over the people in your life, pray for people, pray with people. All, these, all this praying will help you have that better connection with God. And prayer isn't only for asking for things. It says, to, it says in Colossians 4.2, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So prayer isn't only for asking for things. It's to let God know that you're thankful. It's to let them know that you're thankful that you woke up this morning. It's to let them know that you're thankful that you get to come and you get to go to church. You get to praise him. You get to worship him. Thankful that you live in a country where you're allowed to do that freely without someone trying to murder you. 
You know, thankful that you have food on your table, thankful that you have a house over your head, thankful that you have a family around you or friends around you or a church family. You just, you, you give God these, this thanks that no matter your circumstance, that, that thankfulness, it builds up a joy within you as well. Because when you tell God that you are thankful, you really start to believe that. You really start to focus your mind on the positive things in your life. You really start to believe that, well, yeah, you know what? I'm right. I, I'm thankful. I have a house over my head. I have food on the table. I have a wife. I have two kids. I have people who depend on me. I have a job. As much as I don't like my job, I have a job. You know, <laughs> I mean, you start to really be thankful for the things in your life. You, you quit looking at the negativity that's going on around you. And the negativity that's going on around you is what creates the most stress in our life. So be thankful in your prayers as well. Step two, talk to God. Now, some people would think those two things are the same. Eh, sort of. But just because I say talk to God, I don't necessarily mean pray. So let's say you have a relationship. Me and Kim, we have a relationship. We have, you know, that's my wife as well, if anyone doesn't know. We have a relationship. Let's say we go six months without talking to each other. What kind of relationship is that? It's not. Same thing with God. Talk to him. He knows you. He already knows your thoughts. So what's the point of not talking to him? You know what I'm saying? Like He already knows that you're like, what the heck am I supposed to do now? This just fell through. What am I supposed to do? I just ask him. Just ask him. I mean, I've been in my car after something really bad happened at work, and I'm like, and, I mean, just tears rolling out of my eyes because I literally don't know what's next. I don't know if we're shutting the doors. I don't know if we're, we're just moving on or if we're, we're going to make it. I have no idea how the bills are going to be paid. And this is just last year with COVID because work stopped, okay? COVID happened, and boom, we had no work. We went for four weeks paying people three times as much as what we brought in. We depleted our bank account. I mean, it was like, what do we do? What are we going to do? I have no idea. But I literally got in the car and I was like, what? What do you want me to do? I, I don't know what to do. You know, and God's not offended by you asking him these questions. He already knows the questions are in your head. He already knows you have these questions in your life. He already knows whether or not you know what you're going to do next. He already knows that you're going to try to control the situation. He already knows you're probably going to make a wrong decision if you do. He already knows. So just talk to him. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as prayer. You're praying. But we view prayer as like this solemn thing, like, oh, dear Lord, man, I got to do it quietly. Sometimes talking to God is what you need to do. You need to talk to him, like, what am I doing? Or thank you, Lord. You know, like, just out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that I just made it through this. Thank you, Lord, that my business is still open. You know, thank you, Lord, that we were able to make it. Thank you for all the things that you've done. Thank you. Because... We just sometimes we have to say things out loud to truly believe it. Sometimes just having a thought in our head isn't enough for us to truly put a faith or belief into it. We have to speak it. We have to say it. We have to believe in it. So talk to God. Psalms 145:18 says the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. First Thess Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen, which this won't be up there, but write that down. First Thess Thessalonians, if I can pronounce it, five 
16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually and have conversations with God. That, that pray continually, well, how can I stay in constant prayer? Well, the same way you stay in constant communication with your spouse or with your friend, you talk. You just talk to them. That's how we pray continually. We just talk to God. We ask him for uh, uh, direction. We ask him for clarity. We ask him for discernment. We ask for understanding over why something happened in our life, especially when we lose a loved one. You know, a lot of times we don't understand, especially if it's a young person or someone that's just taken suddenly when we don't, we don't understand these things. And sometimes we're never going to understand it. But when we talk to God and when we pray to God and when we have that constant connection with God, the understanding comes that we don't have to know. But God will give us that peace. So number three is dedicate you. Dedicate you to God. Dedicate yourself to him. It's one thing to ask for forgiveness, repent, and accept Jesus as your Savior. But if you go and you turn around and just start doing it your way again, then what was it all for? I mean, it's just for show. You know, if, if, you, if you ask for God to forgive you and you truly believe that you're forgiven of your sins, you truly believe Jesus died on the cross for you, then you truly believe that you have to give yourself up. That's part of your walk with God. You have to die to yourselves and be reborn in him. We do this most easily by staying in his word. So staying in his word, reading, reading daily, daily Bible reading, it'll help immensely with your dedication of yourself to God. In fact, steps one, two, and three, all three of them are greatly impacted by daily Bible reading. If you'll stay in his word, it will help you, one, do away with yourself, and two, have a relationship with God. Because if you know who he is, like the more I find out about Kim, the more easily I can have a relationship with her, Right? the more easily I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I know that she doesn't drink diet soda, so when we go to the restaurant, I'm not going to buy her a soda, right? So the more you know about someone, the stronger your relationship is, the, the, the better your relationship is. And the same thing goes for God. So how can you possibly know about God if you're not in your Bible reading about God? So daily Bible reading is where you greatly impact being able to give up your will, being able to give up yourself. <clears throat> so Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So like I said, Jesus even said, you have to give up yourself. You're not going to be able to go your way and follow God. That's two separate roads. Romans 12, 1 says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And that has become basically a life verse for me. Ever since I found that verse in reading Romans, I, I just, I follow that. I want, or I want to anyway. I mean, sometimes I completely fail at following that. Sometimes I completely fail at giving up myself. I mean, it's a daily process. But 12.1 is everything. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, he's already given us mercy. He's already given us grace. He's already paid for our sins. 
So in the view of God's mercy, offer yourselves a living sacrifice. What that means is to go on with your life for God, a living sacrifice. So we're not just like taking ourselves out on an altar and giving ourselves up to God. We are laying our feet, or we're, we're laying down at the foot of the cross. We're laying ourselves down right there. We are doing ourselves away at the cross. And we are believing that Jesus Christ gave up everything for us. Therefore, I'm going to give up my will for his. So dedicate yourselves to him and do away with you. And it says that's our true and proper worship. Another, uh, another way of interpreting that actual scripture is it's the least you could do. The least you could do is give up your life for someone who's already given up theirs for you. That's the least you could do. So number four is wait. And waiting is the hardest part because we don't like to wait. When we get impatient is when we tend to slip up the most. We revert to our way through impatience. We see, our, we see opportunity, and instead of praying about it or talking to God about it or waiting for an answer, we jump right at the opportunity. And this is because, let's face it, we live in an instant society. Everything is instant. I want it right now, and I literally have everything I want right now. I can order food. I can order a ride. Well, not here in Chiefland, but you can go to Gainesville, and you can order food, and you can order a ride. <laughs> you, can, you can, I mean, everything's at your fingertips now. We have access to the whole world, and uh, I, I've said it up here before. One, we as human beings were never meant to have access to the whole world. Our brains can't handle the amount of stress that the whole world has. We were never meant to carry that burden. It's not our burden to carry. So, one, I mean, it's a burden to have that much access. We shouldn't have the amount of access we have. And I know there's a lot of people that would probably argue with that, that the, you know, social media could be a good thing and all this. It, it could be, absolutely. But, once again, our hearts are deceitful. So, what could be a good thing in reaching people turns into a crazy amount of blah, blah, blah drama and political nonsense, and people hating each other, and race crimes, and bullying. Now we have cyberbullying. Well, I mean, what? Come on. Like, like me picking on somebody in person wasn't enough. Now we're picking on people we don't even know. We're picking on people halfway across the world. You know, I mean, like, how bad do we have to get before we understand that personal relationships are where we, where we reach people? I mean, yeah, I still have social media, but if you'll notice my social media, all I ever share is either music or scripture, and I don't like going on there anymore because, I mean, if you scroll your Facebook feed, I have to constantly click hide, click hide, click hide, because I don't want to see the garbage anymore. I'm tired of seeing all the nonsense and stress that's not mine to carry. So we live in an instant society. See, God's plan, it's like a gourmet meal being prepared for us. It takes time. You got all these ingredients that have to be mixed together. You, you know, uh, beef has to be cured or, or, you know, it has to be, you know, what, what is it where they put the beef in a freezer for a year or whatever? Prime yeah, prime rib. So, they, you know, it's, it takes time. These things take time. There's a, there's a whole process in the making a five-star gourmet meal that well before the person ever gets to the restaurant, right? And the same thing, God's plan for us is just like that meal. It started off, you know, well back in the past, and he, he's putting all these things together in line. And, and he's just waiting. Finally, we're going to come into the restaurant and partake in this meal, right? Only problem is because of our, our need for instant gratification, 
We're over here looking for the next opportunity, that next quick meal, the quick dollar, the quick hookup. We ruin our appetite. We're over here eating the five-minute rice because we couldn't wait for God's gourmet meal. Right? I mean, that's honestly what we're doing. We're looking for that instant gratification. So we're, we're not willing to wait for this gourmet meal that's been planned out for us. We're not willing to wait. So we're sitting at the house eating the leftover pizza before we leave. And we get there and we can't even make it past the second, you know, the, the second serving. You know what I'm saying? It's the rolls. See, it's the rolls. <laughs> so sometimes we even burn down the kitchen before we can even get to the meal. Because of our impatience, we do it our way. We go back there and we're trying to show God how to cook it. You know, I'm just, we go back there and like, no, you ain't doing that right. Let me, let me show you. This is how I want my steak. Let me show you. You know, we try to tell them how we want it. That ain't how it works. So wait. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. We got to wait. Psalms 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. Hebrews 10, 36 says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Endurance, waiting. The only way you're going to receive the promise is to wait. You have to wait upon the Lord. And to wait on the Lord is to seek him, his plan, his purpose, and his promises. If we could just not jump at that next opportunity just because we like the way it looks and we wait on whether or not God has that in store for us, we'll receive the promises of God. So number five is seek God. Actively seek God. <clears throat> we must actively seek God in our lives and our opportunities to truly learn his will his purpose, and his plan over our lives. To get away from our way and work into his way, we have to actively seek him. To get out of a hole, one must look up. We are always in a hole if we are seeking ourselves. And you're just digging that hole deeper and deeper every time you try to do it your way. To get out of that hole, we're going to have to look up. We have to look up to God. Seeking God over everything we do puts away our perspective and moves us into his perspective. See, if we could start looking at the world through the eyes of God, we wouldn't focus so much on self. We would see that there's people hurting in our city. We would see that there's homeless people nonstop walking up and down 19 now. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but there's a lot more homeless people walking up and down 19 between Chiefland and Fanning than I've ever seen. So there's, there's people here that are hurting. There's people here that have a need. There's people here that, and it may be you, I don't know. But there's people that have the need of God as well. So when we start looking at everything through God's perspective on what, what it is that he's wanting us to do or what it is that he's wanting us to do to reach the city or reach our community or help someone or even on a personal basis, just someone to pray for or pray with, when we look at everything through his perspective, we do away with our selfishness because we're no longer looking at everything through our perspective. Because honestly, our perspective is very limited, which is why you have racism. That's why you have hate. That's why you have ignorance. It's because people are only looking at something through their perspective. They're only looking at something through their own eyes. They're not willing to open up their mind that there is these things that happen in our world. 
There is a system that is rigged that only attacks certain individuals. You know, there, there are these things that truly exist in certain aspects that are truly out there, but because we don't want to see something, we will not see something. It's the same way if you only look for negativity, you will only find negativity. If you are always looking for something to complain about, you will surely find something to complain about. It's our perspective. We limit our perspective to what we want to see, what we want to view, what we want to find. It's like a documentary. We're constantly stuck in a documentary where we're only getting the information that we want because we are the ones searching for the information. We are providing ourselves with the information to confuse ourselves, to trick ourselves into believing that it's only this way. And there's nothing that is only this way except God's word. God's word is the only thing set in stone in this life. Everything else is up to interpretation and perception, a perspective. So, seeking God is the only way we can get ourselves out of that hole. We have to put all our heart, soul, and mind into seeking him. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. It's one of the great commandments. Seek God with all your heart, soul, and mind. As Jesus said, was the first of the greatest commandments. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen tells us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I've said that up here before as well, that Jeremiah 29, 11 is the promise that he has a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you. 13 is the instructions. How do you get the promise? You have to seek me with all your heart and you will find me. So 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So there's instructions on how to get the promise. So the last step is to serve. You have to serve others. You have to serve at church. You have to serve at home. You don't serve yourself. You serve your wife. You serve your kids. You serve your community. You serve your family. You serve your church family. You serve in any capacity that you can serve. Because serving is truly where we will get rid of our own wants and our own, our own selfish desires. When we start to serve others and see the blessing that comes out of serving others, that's when we put away what we want and we start seeking more of what God wants. So Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. It's the other commandment. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Second great command. Hebrews six ten says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. There are so many other verses in reference to serving others, helping others, loving others, reaching others through serving, helping your spiritual life through serving others. It is a staple of our faith. I've seen it on stage before, or I've said it on stage before. If, if all you intend to do is to serve your own interests, then can you really say that you love God? Because you can't serve God and yourself at the same time. So if, you, if all you ever do to plan on serving is yourself, if all you're ever going to serve is your own selfish desires, can you truly say that you love God? Well, Matthew 25, 45 already answered it for us. It says, truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, as you did not do it to, the one, of le to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. If you're not willing to serve other people, you're not willing to serve your community, you're not willing to help others, 
you're inherently saying that you're not willing to serve God. That is what Jesus just said right there. Truly I tell you, if you didn't do it for one of the least of these, and you never did it for me. Serving others is what we are called to do. If you can't serve anyone other than yourself and your own interests, then there needs to be a long, deep look at your relationship with God. Mark 10, 45 even says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, didn't come here for us to serve him. He came to serve us. He came to die for us on the cross, forgive us of our sins. Are we better than him? Absolutely not. So we have to serve. Serving others is where we find our true calling and purpose in the kingdom of God. When we are serving others, we find morality. We find empathy. We start caring for people. We start caring for people more than ourselves. We start looking for opportunities to care for people. We start looking for opportunities to serve people. Well, the more you serve, the more you'll want to serve. And yeah, they, they talk about burnout. And absolutely, burnout is a real thing. When all you do is focus on something other than yourself, you will feel that burnout. But the burnout is not a true thing. It's, it's a selfish desire burning at you to want to focus on yourself because we are stressed with helping others. When truly, every time you help somebody, you're not feeling stressed, you're, you're enjoying the fact that you're able to help somebody, especially when you see the outcome of the help. You know, I mean, everybody was excited on all the help that we gave that, that child, right? And, and all of us were able to give into his life, and that's a wonderful thing. And it gives such a blessing to you as well because you feel the joy that comes from that family. You, you get to see that you were able to help somebody that was truly in need. And that's, that's what we're here for is to help those who are truly in need of God. You know, that's why we serve others is because inherently, let's say someone is deep in the world. And, and they, even a Satan worshiper, for that matter, they're going to ask, why are you helping me? People don't do that nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Nobody just goes out of their way to help somebody. Why are you helping me? And there's the opportunity for testimony. So serving others not only helps them, it helps you, but it helps the kingdom of God. It helps bring more into the kingdom of God. It helps people actually want to seek out who it is and why it is that you're serving. You know, people want to know where this love comes from. That's how we truly love others is serving others. We find purpose and find the will of God in serving others. It's so much easier to get away from trying to do things our way and to start and, and start to do them God's way when we put ourselves away and we serve others. So in closing, <clears throat> I titled this message as Hands Off because I want to point out that as we go about life, we try to do many things our way. Even when we pray it out and give it to God, a lot of times we pick it right back up as soon as we're off our knees because of stress, anxiety, worry, depression, whatever it be. As soon as we stand up, we're taking it right back from God. Or maybe even just pieces like, well, I know I told you I'd give you the business, but, but I'm going to just this right here. The finances are mine. You can, you can just deal with the rest. I'm going to deal with this part. You know, we're constantly taking things back from God even after saying that we give it to you. You know, and we have to get our hands off. We have to quit trying to do it our way because our way leads to nothing but trouble. It leads to nothing but failure. It leads to everything that is wrong and, and creating stress and anxiety in our life. But if we, can, if we can follow these six steps, then 
in the scriptures that, that I read off, we, we can learn to let go and let God. Because truly when we let go of our lives, when we let go of what we want, when we let go of our selfish desires, wants, and needs, that's when we truly start to have God in our life. We start to see him work through us, with us. We see all his, his hand over our life. When we have faith in the fact that he's going to do it, as long as we can wait upon him, as long as we can serve others, as long as we keep seeking God's will over ours, you know, we, we know that we'll see those blessings come to fruition. So we, like many greats from the past, we try to control the outcomes and circumstances many of which are beyond our control anyway. You don't have any real control over a lot of the things that you try to control. If you, if you honestly look at the things that you're trying to control in your life, there's no option there for control. I mean, you know, I have guys at work all the time that are stressed out about politics. There's, what are you going to do about it? I mean, right now, honestly, you, you, there's not even, it's not even time to vote, so what are you going to do about it? You know, the, you're, you're worried about things that you have zero control over, which is creating a stress and anxiety in your life, which then affects your life. Now, if you're not focused on the things going on in Washington, or you're not focused on the things going on in some other country and, or, or some you know, uh, celebrity or all this nonsense that's constantly on the newsfeed, if you're not focused on that, and you're focused on the world around you, you're not gonna have that added stress that isn't yours. You're not going to have that added anxiety that was never yours anyway. Like, honestly, you know, say 30 years ago, you didn't read about any of that happening. So what were you focused on? Whether or not your mama needed help, whether or not your neighbor needed help, whether or not, you know, uh, what you were going to be doing at work tomorrow. You know, you, you weren't worried about whether or not the so-and-so law is going to pass or you weren't worried about uh, North Korea is putting a bomb somewhere. Nobody was worried about all that stuff because they were focused on the world around them. And if each one of us as human beings, let's say the entire world quit focusing on the entire world and just started focusing on their world, we would actually see the entire world change for the better. The problem is when you focus on something much larger than anything you could possibly have control over, all you're going to do is mess it up. And that's what humans keep doing. We keep messing everything up because we're trying to focus on way too many things that one, we can't have control over, and two, we're trying to do it without God. So we create this anxiety and stress in our lives and it causes depression because it never works out. And believe me, this, this message is for me as much as anyone. Because I, I mean, like I said, as a business runner, owner, operator, whatever you wanna call me, as it, it's stressful. It's stressful having to provide for other families. It's stressful seeing your bank account deplete, but knowing that these guys have families that they've got to provide for. It's stressful not having work come in, but then you have the other stress where you have too much work come in, you have no idea how you're gonna get it all done. You know, it's just, it's a constant stress battle. And if I wanted to sit there and worry about everything, I would become bald and gray bearded. <laughs> But honestly, I mean, up until this past year, that's, that's how I was. I was constantly worried about literally everything. And it probably led to a bit of this and a bit of this. I'm not going to lie. You know, most of this is hereditary if you've ever seen my dad or grandfather. But, uh, I mean, it, just, it creates stress and anxiety in your life because you're worrying about things that you have zero control over. I have zero control over whether people come into my shop or not and us be able to work on their vehicles unless I start shooting transmissions, which has caught my eye once or twice. So, 
But I mean, let, I mean, unless people bring their vehicle into me, I have no way of helping them with their vehicle. I have no way of, of controlling the amount of work we get. Um, you know, when people bring too much work into me, I have no way of controlling whether or not we get it all done in a timely manner. Sometimes we order parts. That part's bad. We have to order another part. That part's bad too. We order another part. So I've gone through three and four parts of the same exact part to find a good one, doing the same work three or four times just to find a decent part. That creates stress and anxiety because I'm paying somebody three and four times to do a job I get paid once for. You know what I'm saying? So all this stuff, it builds up in you and it creates this, oh, like what am I supposed to do? But what I figured out was if I quit stressing about it and I just let it go, it'll pass. It'll, it'll, all, it'll turn out. I mean, yeah, maybe we have to do the same job four or five times. Maybe, maybe you'll have to do the same thing four or five times. Maybe you'll have to have the same conversation with somebody four and five times before it truly sinks in. Maybe the, that's, it may be part of it. But if you quit worrying about it and just, just go along with it. Go along with what God has in store for you. You'll find, you'll find joy, you'll find peace, you'll find that, that release of the anxiety. You, know, you won't be focused on what's going wrong because you'll be able to say, you know what? The last time something went wrong, I quit focusing on it and I focused on God and here I am. That thing ain't wrong anymore, that's in the past. It already happened, we made it past that. That's why I said, this too shall come to pass. Everything that you're going through, every anxiety, every stress, every, every circumstance, every opportunity, everything that has ever happened to you, it all came to pass, right? Including that thing you're going through right now, it's going to come to pass. You'll make it through it. And if you'll seek God through every single one of those circumstances, every single one of those things that's happening in your life, you'll, you'll be able to look back when, you, when you're in that future you and say, God, you pulled me through it again. Thank you. You pulled me through it again. I, I'm here because of God. I'm, I'm, able to, I'm able to stand up on this stage and speak to y'all right now because of God. Because honestly, before I found God, I wasn't on no stage singing. I wasn't on no stage talking to people. I had stress and anxiety just thinking about being up here. And if y'all ever go back and see a video of me, the first time singing, I'm up here. I don't look at nobody. heart just pounding. I don't know if my shirt was moving or not, but I, it felt that way. I mean, it's, it's stressful. I, but with God, I was able to see that like he has a purpose for my life. I never thought it would be speaking to people because I've never enjoyed public speaking ever. And I still get nervous coming up here just speaking, but I'm able to find that peace and comfort in his word. I'm not up here... It, the one thing that takes away from the stress and anxiety is because I'm not up here to, to find like some kind of approval out of y'all, okay? I'm not up here saying all this stuff in hopes that, that you'll come up to me afterwards and say, that was a great message. No, I'm up here to tell you because this is what God wants us to know is that he's gonna take care of us if we'll just get out of his way. If we'll take our hands off that problem, he'll take care of it. He said to David, had you not tried to do it your way, I would have given you more. If what I gave you wasn't enough, you would have got more from me, but you had to do it your way. So now here's your consequence. And we will always find a consequence when we try to do it our way. So we've got to stop. We've got to stop trying to do it our way. And we've got to take our hands off. It always has a way of working itself out when we take our hands off and give it up to God. These constant, these steps, these six steps, it's going to be a constant work in progress, just like you. Just like me, we're a constant work in progress and you're gonna fail these steps sometimes. Don't feel bad about that either, God already knows. 
God already knows whether or not you woke up this morning and forgot to pray to him before you came to church. He already knows. You know, if, if we were able to offend God, we would all be in a lot of trouble. One, I mean, he already knows what you're, what you're gonna do. He already knows what steps you're taking. He knows all things. That's why he sent a prophet to call David out after he did what he did. To show David, not only do I know what you did, but now I'm gonna punish you as well. You know, it's like the parent that has eyes in the back of their head. They already know what you did. Quit lying about it. You know, you're already caught before you're caught. Before you know you're caught, you're already caught. You know, same thing with God. Before you even know you're caught, you're already caught. He already knows. He already knows you, you did that wrong thing. He already knows you sinned. All he's wanting you to do is ask for forgiveness. Give it up to him. Let him control your life. Live for him. Work for him. Serve him, which means serving others serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, serving those who don't know him, bringing those people into knowing him. God will use you in so many ways and it does not mean preaching the word of God. The Bible even says that not everyone will be a teacher. It says that. It says, but we're all body parts. We're all meant for something. Maybe you're not gonna preach the word, but you're gonna be able to testify about how God brought you out of some circumstance. You know, your testimony is far more better than any, anything I could come up with up here on stage. Anything that I can sit here and preach in this room, it's gonna be far more powerful if we are out there giving our testimony to those who don't know it. I mean, I assume that everyone in this room has given their lives up to God. And if not, I would implore you to do so as soon as possible because he is the only true way that you're gonna find peace, joy, comfort, anything in this life worthwhile. You're not gonna be able to do it without him. I saw a thing this week, and I, I meant to bring a glove in just for, just for visual purposes, but it was another preacher, and <clears throat> he stood on stage, and he's got a glove in his hand. You know, he says, we're all made in the image of God, right? The Bible says we're all made in the image of God. The glove is made in the image of a hand. Now, the glove, it could be a work glove. It could be a surgical glove. It could be a, a welding glove. It could be a nitrile glove to be able to keep chemicals or, or whatever off of you. It, it, any glove, they all have a purpose, right? But not a single one of them works without a hand inside of it. We're just like that glove. We're all made in the image of God. We all have different jobs. We all have different uh, aspirations. We all have different areas of life that we're working in. We all have different things going on. But until God is inside of us, we're all completely useless, just like the glove without a hand. We're not doing anything except spinning our wheels, making life worse without God inside of us. So don't let it stress you out when you mess up. Be like David. Admit that you are wrong. Admit that you sinned against God. Repent. Turn away from it. Turn to God. As you do this more and more, you read more of the Bible, you pray more, you talk to God more, you seek him more, you serve others more. As you devote yourself to him more, you'll, you'll find that you'll, you're not gonna want what you want so much anymore. You'll find it easier to give up yourself. You'll find it easier to follow his word and his ways because you're not seeking your approval anymore of what you're doing. You're seeking God's approval of what you're doing. You're seeking his way. The, another thing you're gonna, you're gonna come in contact with as you do these things more and more, 
you're going to have people come up to you and say, how come y'all never have time for anything? How come you never have time to, to do what you want to do? You know, you used to hunt and fish and now you don't hunt and fish anymore, which I haven't been hunting or fishing in like two or three years now. I love to hunt and fish. There's a reason is because I'm busy serving people, whether it be family, church, community. Maybe sometimes I'm just going in to work on somebody's vehicle on my time off, you know, and, and not for profit necessarily. I've done that multiple times. It, serving others, you know, it, but you're going to have those who are kind of part of the world. They're going to try to convince you that, well, you need to take some time off of that. You need to quit serving so much and make some time for yourself, you know, make some time for your wants. The problem is as soon as you give into that and your wants, your ways, your selfish desires, all that's going to come flooding back in because the devil's going to make it real easy. Like I said, as soon as you step over that ledge down that hill, he's going to make it real easy for you to trip and fall. And then you're just going to be stumbling and stumbling and stumbling and stumbling. And you're going to find it real hard to get back into that routine of serving others. You're going to find it real hard to get back in that routine of waking up first thing in the morning and praying and reading the word of God. Because you've given in to self once again. The more we give in to self, the more we get away from God. That's just how it works. So don't let others convince you that, that you need to give up your time, that you're serving others. You're always going to have people that are against you one way or another. Because this world always has people that are going to judge you. You know, there's always going to be, you know, I, I heard somebody say the other day something about this church people judge people. Everybody judges people. You're being judged for being a Christian when someone says that Christians are judgy. Okay, so they're, they're being judgmental in that statement. Everyone is judgy. Every single person is judgy. So if you're going to be judged, there's only one that actually matters. So do all the things that you're being judged on by God. And I'm not building myself up at all. The reason that, that I relate things to me is because it's, again, this, my perception is the one I get to see out of. You know, and, and I, I am open to other people. I'm open to hearing other people's lives, other people's testimonies, other people's perceptions. You have to be open to people, to serve people. And the reason that I do so much for church isn't because I'm, I, I need something for myself. It's, it's because that when I do things for myself, my world gets jacked up. Every time I do something for myself, every time I try to do something my way, it fails. Every time I try to do something, and, and it may not look like instant failure, it may look like a bunch of money, but how many times have you heard somebody get a bunch of money and it ruined their life? You know, I mean, they got a whole show on, on lottery winners who, and their lives are trashed because they got money. You know what I'm saying? So, but when you do things your way, that's the inevitable outcome is your life is going to be trash because you're doing things your way. Your way, the Bible says, is sinful. Your way, it says your heart is deceitful. Your heart deceiving yourself. You, you, are, you are confusing yourself. You're, you're convincing yourself that your way is going to get you somewhere when in true, true reality, yeah, it's going to get you somewhere, but it ain't where you want to go. I promise you that. And the devil, he makes life easy on some. Because those he can make it easy on, they don't have a reason to seek God. So when you, when, when, you, when you face trials and tribulations, that's just one more reason that you're seeking God. You, you look up to him like, well, I, I can't. He can, so I'm going to seek him in this circumstance. You know, the, the, 
people always ask, well, how come, you know, this, this celebrity has got a bunch of money and they got an easy life? Do you really think they got it easy when they're over here on drugs or committing suicide on a daily basis? You know, the money and fame, fortune and all that stuff, it doesn't create joy. It just creates more stress, more money, more problems. It, it just, it's always, that's the way it always works. The more God, the more joy, the more peace, the more comfort, the more clarity, the more discernment, the more life you truly get to enjoy. And all those around you will get to enjoy it. Because as you seek God and, and your life builds upon you, that God will just exude out of you. And that's the way it always works. An amazing blessing of grace and forgiveness has been bestowed upon us. So who are we to allow that blessing to stop at me? I'm going to take my hands off. I would ask that you do so this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thanks again for listening today. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, consider giving a financial gift to help us bring the hope of Jesus to more people. You can give online at releasecitychurch.org forward slash give. Remember, you matter, we care, and Jesus loves you. Have a great day.